So we, uh, it's been such an exciting thing for us to be able to spend these past five weeks, be able to hear stories from our congregation members about how God has worked in their lives, how they've seen God move, and, and just excited excitement about our season coming forward. And so um, if you get a chance to, to see any of the people who've shared, just, just thank them for sharing their story. Um, it's not always easy, but it's something that it's such a blessing to be able to see how God is moving. You know, this morning, uh, in regards to speaking about our stories and speaking about where we are currently, what we've been doing for the past month or so, is that we are right in the middle of a series called We Are the Church. And this, through this series, we've been looking through the first four chapters of Acts. We'll continue with Acts 3 today. But the idea behind this series has been recognizing that we wanted to look and see what was the early church like, what did they do, how is that something that we as a church, a Palmerado Christian church, have been doing, and how we will continue to keep doing those things. And so it's called We Are the Church because we believe that the church doesn't just exist for us. It's not just for us to feel comfortable, not just for us to find our, our place where we want to be, but, but that we are the church and that we exist to make an impact on this world. And so that it's more than just being comfortable, it's, it's being sent out with a purpose, with a mission to reach those far from God and bringing them near to God so they too can get plugged in and be changed by him. And so for the first, let's take a moment, if you're new with us, we take a few moments every single week to kind of recap where we've been uh, for a moment or two and then continue with where we're going to go. And so for the very first week, we talked about uh, the idea that being part of a church is more than just attending on Sunday mornings. It's being plugged into the people and the purpose of the church. It's community being plugged into people, but it's also being plugged into the purpose, the why we exist as a church, and that's to make an impact in this world. The second week we talked about plugged in, then the next week was the idea that the church isn't filled with perfect people. It's filled with people who've been changed by God to make a change in this world. And so we looked at the story of Peter and recognized that he wasn't perfect, I'm not perfect, we're not perfect, but we've been changed by God, not, again, not just for our sake and for ourselves, but we've been changed by God to make a change in this world. And then last week, I don't know how many of you were here last week, but last week we had our youth ministry take over. And I just have to say, this is not one of those things where you come up as a pastor and you say, oh, it was a great job. It legitimately was a fantastic service. It was so, it was so incredible. And, and it's so exciting to be able to see middle school students up on the band and high school students sharing testimonies and, and to hear youth leaders being able to share both via video and live and, and to see, you know, people that are like, under five feet tall serving things and getting that. Like, it's just such a cool moment. And, and if, you, if you haven't had a chance to encourage uh, our youth ministry or any of the people that were a part of that, please take the moment to do that. It was legitimately one of my favorite services I've been a part of in a long time. And it was amazing. And so I just wanted to, to say that what they talked about, what, what we kind of landed on was, the, you know, they mentioned the idea that you can leave the building, but you can't leave the church. But here's the point I want us to hit on is this idea that we are called to be witnesses. And we heard the story of Melissa Verlitis and the woman Betsy who had poured into her over a span of six, seven years. And, and so Maddie, Melissa's daughter, came up and said, had this closing line, how can you be like Betsy and who will be your Melissa? And then she did the proverbial drop mic, even though there was a mic attached to her. Like, but she just prayed. I'm like, she landed that plane. Like, she made that, they did that ending strong. But it's this idea of we are called to be witnesses. And it, 
and it's something that we can do by having a cup of tea with someone. And so we all left and we had a, a bag of tea to remind us of the impact that we can have, that it takes a cup of tea and how reaching out to somebody can have a lifelong impact for that person we're reaching out to, but even more so, as, as God's word says, that those who love and obey God's commandments, that there's a blessing to a thousand generations. We have the opportunity to be called, to be witnesses, to be generation changers for those we reach. So the question is, how can you be like Betsy, and who will be your Melissa? And so today, we're going to uh, get to our next section in Acts chapter 3 um, and, and hit on the next part of this sermon. But before we do, I would ask that you would join me in a word of prayer so that we could uh, be ready for what God has for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the giver of all good gifts. We thank you that you are the one that uh, has worked in our lives. Father, we thank you for the fact that as we say we are the church, we recognize it's not just about our own growth, that that is part of it, but also that we grow so that we may have an impact on this world. Lord, I pray that in this time that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal way, in a mighty way, in a powerful way to each person that is here uh, live or anyone that may be listening online later, because we recognize that every person here is loved by you and every person here is someone that you would like to have a deeper relationship with. Lord, we love you. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Now, as we begin this, this sermon this morning, uh, many of you may know, maybe many of you may not know, that uh, me, Pastor Evan, and Dennis Riley went to Ecuador uh, about a little over a week ago, and we just got back last week. So um, I wanted to share uh, one of the stories that jumped out uh, the most to us. So I, I don't know how you are. I am not a good uh, sleeper on planes. Uh, I'm not able to sleep on planes. Planes hate me and I hate them. Um, but it's one of those where I hadn't slept for about 24 hours uh, from when we got up on, on Monday morning at 2 a.m. local time and went to bed at 4 30, 5 o'clock uh, Ecuadorian time. But part of the adventure there was the fact that we, we got our connecting flights, everything was fine, and, and each of us, we had our own uh, carry-on bag, and, then we, and we had two bags that were check-in bags each that we were going to uh, give and donate to the, um, the, the people there to kind of help out the mission. So we arrive at 10.30 at night on the, uh, in, in Ecuador, in Quito Airport. Then we have to wait for an hour or so to get through immigration. And, and we finally get our stuff around midnight. We, the missionaries, Mike Bukta, who you saw earlier, he and his wife, Danelle, pick us up. They have a truck that has uh, two front seats and then a small uh, a cab that had three in the back there, a little bench seat. Then we have a truck. We put our stuff in there and we cover it with the tarp. Uh, we used bungee cords to wrap it all up and we head up on our way for a three, three and a half hour drive to our hotel. So it's already going to be a late night, right? But we're talking and, and we're, you know, getting to know the Bucktas better. We're sitting in the back seat and we get about two, maybe about two hours into this three hour journey and you're on this freeway and somebody behind us um, and starts flashing their lights, honking their horns, and we're like, this can't be good because you're in a third world country, people are flashing lights, honking horns, it's 2 a.m., I'm tired, I haven't slept in 22 hours, like what is gonna happen uh, in this moment? And they pull around side and they say, muletas, muletas, and then they go by. Now, if you know Spanish, what, what you know, and if you don't, I'll tell you, is decided that that's the word for luggage, for suitcases. And so Mike pulls over, he's driving, he pulls over, we look in the back, and as we walk around the corner, the, the tailgate was down. We pull open the tarp, and out of the nine bags that we had brought, six of them were gone. 
And so we're looking at this, we're like, how did this happen? We thought that the tailgate just broke. And so I was in the back, like holding on to the rest of the luggage and holding on to the truck bed. And it's very interesting to be able to do that at 3 a.m. in Ecuador. And so we're just going there and we're, we're really discouraged, but we're also, I mean, the enemy would have loved to allow that to be something that would cause us to not be excited about what God was doing in that trip. And, and it turns out the next morning we show up and, and Mike shows up and says, I have a theory. And we're like, well, okay. I mean, the theory for us is that the tailgate broke. What was it? He pulls open the tarp or he pulls the tarp open and he lays it right out to where it was originally. And you could see a, a slit inside the edge of the tarp. And so it's like someone looked into it. Then you look at the bungee cords and the bungee cords had been cut. Now, we had only stopped one time in three hours, and it was at this light in this dark area. It was a stoplight. We were stopped there, and it was for a couple minutes, the diesel engine, we were talking, and we were you know, excited about being somewhere and, and getting ready to go to our hotel and sleeping, and what looks like it had to have happened was that in those couple minutes that we were stopped at that light, that a team of people came in, cut open the side, noticed there was luggage, ended up going over, snapping over the bungees, take down the tailgate, go one, two, three, four, five, six pieces of luggage, and then we were on our way before we even knew what happened. And we didn't recognize it for another hour or so until it happened. And so it was, a, it was a crazy trip. And again, the enemy would have loved to allow that to be something that would have discouraged us to the point of not being able to see what, what God has done. But it was amazing. And I have to tell you that that trip, regardless of things like that, that were really difficult, there were some incredible things that we saw six baptisms. We saw three babies being dedicated. Uh, we saw the work that Connecting Hope Mission is doing in Ecuador. And we'll share some stories today and, and we'll talk about other stories and other times. But it was a fantastic trip, so thank you for your prayers, because even though stuff was lost, what, what I tried to share with the, the missionaries when we were there is the fact that people may try to rob us of our stuff, but through Christ, we cannot be robbed of our salvation. And recognizing that if we trust in our, our treasures here on earth, and what's it say, Matthew 6, that, people, that thieves will come in and destroy and steal, but that we recognize that when our treasures in heaven, that, that we are able to have a safe place for our treasures. And so thank you for your prayers. Um, and I'll share more stories, but it was an exciting trip, both in the crazy sense, but also in to see what God is doing. And the reason I bring that up this morning is that we're going to talk about our mission this morning, wherever we go. And the truth of the matter is that I, I can guarantee that not everyone in this room or not everyone listening online has been on a mission trip. But that's kind of what we think about when we think that we're on a mission. It's this idea that we're on a separate trip to go somewhere far away, to be able to, to preach about Jesus and to do these incredible things. And of course, there's nothing wrong with it. That is a godly, wonderful thing to do. But if we only believed that that was a mission and that that was the only thing what it meant to be a missionary, then that would exclude a large number of us and a large number of you that haven't gone on a trip or maybe won't be going on a trip. And so does that mean that we are then excluded from the call to be in missions? Or does that mean that we are somehow given a pass to not be a part of it? And, and the truth of the matter is absolutely not. And so our main point for this morning is what we're going to talk about, that our mission isn't just about the call to go overseas. It's about the call to see what God will do through us wherever we go. That our mission is not just about the call to go overseas. Our, it's about being the call to see what God will do through us wherever we go and being available to see what it is that he has in store for us. And so we're going to be 
in the, the book of Acts chapter 3, verse 1, because I believe that many of us would read that and say, yes, I, I agree with that. And, and the question we have listening to that statement is not, should we be witnesses wherever we go, or should we be missions, uh, on a mission wherever we go? The, the verbiage or the question we may have is, how could we? And so the question that we're going to ask today is, how can we be used by God wherever we go? And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 3 to, to start that dialogue and looking at the story of Peter and John as he heals uh, someone here. So I'm going to start Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It's page 1693 if you're in the church Bible. Um, if you have your own Bible or the Bible app, that's fantastic. We're going to be in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And here is the point. The first way that we can be used by God wherever we go is to open your eyes. Open your eyes is the first point. And let's see how Peter does this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple to the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. You know, we're going to start th stop there because the idea is that Peter and John, they both had a place to go. They were both heading to the temple for prayer. In fact, the scripture is specific enough to tell us that it was at 3 p.m., that it was a very specific time. And so it's like their Google calendar was popping up and say, hey, don't forget to be at the prayer time in a few minutes. But as they were going, they opened up their eyes to see someone that was in need in front of them. Now, you and I, we are busy people and that's not meant to be an excuse. It's meant to be a truth that we have to conquer. The fact that we are a busy people, and so we may have events that we need to go to, meetings that we need to lead, um, situations or places that we need to go. And so the point that we talk about here is that for many of us, it's really tough to be focused on the right thing. So the idea is not to get focused. So don't get so focused on where you are going that you fail to see who is around you. Imagine if Peter and John just had walked by because they were too busy trying to get to their place and their appointment at 3 p.m. And they ignored a man that was on the side and they didn't open up their eyes and they didn't see that this man was in need. And the reason I know that we can imagine that is because this is something that we face all of the time in our busy time, in our busy lives, that we look at there was a study that was of students, and we, we heard about this recently at a conference, but there's a study of students that were told that they took a test and they were told, hey, you know what? You have to go speak um, and share a talk across campus of the university. And some of them were given varying degrees of, of time. Some of them, it was like, hey, you have you know, five minutes to get to the other side to prepare a talk on a topic that we just gave you. Others, it was more like 20 or, or it was different time frames. But it, they wanted to test two things. One, how much did hurry and how much did a time constraint stop people from doing what was right? And the reason they did that was two, because as part of the observation, what they would do is that as the students were, were receiving that information, they would walk to the other side of campus, and they, the experimenters had planted a man who was hunched over on the side, and they couldn't tell if he was drunk, if he was hurt, they couldn't, they couldn't see, but what they wanted to test was how many people would stop and to help, knowing that there was a, an appointment that they had to go to. Now, they, they ranked the different types of help. Some was as simple as, you know, they just walked by without any help. Some was they kind of like checked, are you okay? Some help was maybe like, hey, I, I saw someone over there. Is there any way that, you know, maybe you could help them? I'm, I'm going somewhere. Or some of them, it was just to stay with the people until, or stay with the man until help 
arrived. And they measured the different degrees of how many people helped and what that looked like. Now, they said that 40% of people did help to some degree or another, four out of 10. But how hurried they were had an impact on how much they helped. So if they were in a low hurry situation in which they determined they had enough time to be able to stop, help this person, and then still make it to their appointment, that out of those low hurry people, 63% stopped to help. Out of the medium hurry, the one where the time constraint was a little tighter, but they thought they could squeeze it in, 45% helped. But in high hurry situations, when they had such a, a place to go that they couldn't even stop, only 10% of people stopped to help. And one dynamic that I forgot to share with you is, is that those students that were t- uh, part of the study were actually seminary students. And the topic that some of them, not all of them, but the topic that some of them were about to go across the campus to talk about was the parable of the Good Samaritan. <laughs> and so imagining this moment where it's, you're about to, okay, I'm need to, I need to talk about how the best way to be able to help people in time of need, even when you're in the midst of, you know, trying to go somewhere, like, oh, there's that guy. And then like, oh, and then... <laughs> All of a sudden, the topic that we're talking about is not necessarily what we are walking out. And recognizing that because of that, we can be so focused on where we're going that we fail to see the who around us. And so for you, maybe it's someone that is in your office and you see every single day, but you're so focused on getting to your desk on time and starting your emails and setting up meetings and preparing for your presentations that maybe you don't see that they've had their hand in their heads for the past two weeks and you heard around the office that their wife just left them and they don't know what to do. Or maybe it's something where you see and, and you see a coworker that you know that she just needs a woman to pour into her. And and you've said, well, I'm too busy and there's too much going on. And I'm so focused on where I'm going that I fail to see the need of those nearby. But we continue on because Peter, he opened his eyes and he was focused on the the who, not just where he was going. And so let's read the next uh, couple verses, verses five and six together. So then Peter said, look at me in verse four, then verse five. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Some of your, some of your versions might say expecting to get money from them or alms from them. And then verse six, then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. The point for us here this morning is this idea of, yes, we want to not get too focused on where we're going that we fail to see who's around us. But number two, see beyond what people think they need. That you see beyond what people think that need. That if you have a coworker and he comes and he asks you, you know, to go golfing on, on the weekend, I think that's what adults do is go golfing. I don't know. But it's like, hey, let's go golfing. And you think, well, I'm too busy for that. But maybe what the fact is that because his wife just left him, he has no community anymore. And he's looking not just for someone to golf with, but someone to share his life with. And maybe it's something where we see that it's that woman that she needs a mentor because she's broken. And so she's asking you to go to a cup of coffee or to get a, a manicure or a pedicure. And the reason that she's doing that is because she's lonely in a loveless marriage and recognize that she needs to see what love of God is really like. And so maybe they're asking for something that seems superficial, but if we see beyond that this man, he, he, did he need money? Maybe, but did he need Jesus more? Absolutely. 
And so it's for us to see beyond what people think that they need and to show them that what we all truly need, no matter where we are in our lives, is what we all need is a real, authentic experience, life-changing experience with Jesus Christ. And we need to be healed of wounds that hold us back that can only come through Jesus. So seeing beyond what people think they need, but giving them what they truly need to open our eyes to those facts. So first we talk about opening our eyes. The second thing is this idea of open your hand. Open your hand. Verse 7 through 10. Let's see how Peter does this. Now taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at that temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Notice how many times, three times in those few verses, it emphasized the idea of walking. Verse 8, that he got up and began to walk. That later in verse 8, he walked and jumped and praised God. And then verse 9, that he was walking and praising God. And so our point for, for this idea of opening up your hands is the fact that before someone can walk with God, they may need help to stand. They may need help to get back on their own two feet. And that could be literally like this, when it literally talks about how in um, verse 7, that once Peter opened up his hand, the man took his hand and he held him up that this man's ankles remained strong, that he was physically able to stand on his own two feet again after he had been for years without being able to. And so maybe it's this idea of literally being able to help someone physically to be able to stand, but maybe it's also this idea of a figurative fact that we can help someone get back on their feet when they're facing difficult times. Maybe it's something that we know someone who is hurting and who is broken and who just lost a job and doesn't have a place to stay. And so maybe it's something where we, we give some money to be able to help them out. Or, or maybe it's something in which we have an extra bedroom and we say, hey, let me help you get back onto your feet. Why don't you stay here free of rent and you'll be able to just stay with us so that you can get back onto your feet and be able to walk. But before people can have a walk with God, if they don't have a relationship with them, with them with him, sorry. Perhaps they just need help to be able to stand on their own two feet again. Perhaps they need someone who will stop, open up their eyes enough to see their need, and then open up their hand enough to help them up and to be able to get them back on their feet and to have to see and witness this faith and this relationship with God, this walk with God that is not just faith, but it's deeds as well. But in James 2, 14 through 17, we see this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by deeds or actions, is dead. This idea that maybe God has put you in a position to open up your eyes to see who's around, but then to open up your hand to help people and just not just say, hey, hope, hey, go be well fed. Hey, I hope you, you get warm. I hope you're okay. But to say, let me help you with that. Let me help you get back on your feet. Because then it's when it's, that happens that when his ankles was made strong, were made strong, that's when this man was able to walk and to jump and to praise God. And it's through his change that others around him were open to hearing what Peter had to say. 
And so that's where I want to talk about open up your hands, or sorry, open up your eyes, then open up your hand. And this third point is open up about the gospel. Open up about the gospel. We just kind of signaled to this fact right here that the people were so amazed that they were open to hearing what Peter had to say. So we're going to read verses 11 through 16 together. Verse 11, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. That because they, Peter and John, Peter had opened his eyes to see the need, opened his hand to help the man in need, that he was able to open up about the gospel so that people could see their true need, which was not needing money. It was needing Jesus. Now, for some of us, we, I know that this is hard to open about the gospel, and we're going to have series and conversations about what that looks like and how to do it and, and how to be able to have that. But for this morning, what we want to emphasize is this idea that we are not just meant to be do-gooders who do good things. Yes, we do good things, but we do good things, and in so doing, we point them to the only one who is truly good. That we have the opportunity to recognize, as our notes say here, that actions can provide opportunities to share the gospel. When people see that your faith is not just lip service, but that it's actually true service, then we're able to be able to have that impact. That 1 John 3.18 talks about, like, let us not love just with word or tongue, but with action and truth. And so we see that actions open up and provide these opportunities to share the gospel. And that's what Peter did. He took advantage of that moment. Is it manipulative? No, it's saying that because Jesus had taken me from where I was and because he is the only one that is the author of life, because he is the one that fills up our cup to be filled overflowing this abundant life that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that we may have life and life abundant, that out of the overflow of our cups, all we want to do is to help pour into somebody else and to help them to experience that and to share about the gospel so that we, there is a difference between people who are just doing good things and those of us who are doing good things because we have a good God who's done amazing things for us and we want to fill up other people's cups too so that they can know the truth of who Jesus is. While we were in Ecuador, we, we visited Quevedo, which is about two hours south or so, and, and they just started a brand new church. They're trying to you know, get some details figured out. But Neptali, who's the gentleman in the blue shirt there, he and his wife Daisy are there, and they're just doing a fantastic job. And what this picture shows is that there are a couple people that, that came together while we were there, and 
they have, when, they, when they have water, that their water isn't clean. They'll wash their water, um, or sorry, they wash their rice with water. And if you ever had washed your rice with water, then the water is pretty, is pretty dirty afterwards, right? But that would be the same water that they would drink with or they would do other things with. And so what they're doing is that they, have, they show these filters. So if you look at Nephilim's left arm on the counter there, you're going to see a bucket and a filter that's hanging down and then another bucket on the ground. Well, for this filter, what they do is they grab a couple families, not just one person, so that it doesn't become one person owning it and everybody else owes, uh, owes them, but they get a couple families together and say, hey, we're going to give you this filter. And we're going to have this be a family thing, a community thing, where we're going to get families together. We're going to show you how if you use this filter and if you use it correctly, this filter will provide clean water with a lifetime guarantee. And in fact, Mike and Dino Bukta, this is the filter that they use in their own house and they've used it for 15 years and it's worked. So if you use it correctly, then you're going to be able to have a lifetime of clean water. And they use it communally, but they also use it because they are caring for the needs, as James 2 talked about in our last point, but then they're also saying that because the action of trying to provide clean water opens up the door for them to share the gospel about the living water and being able to have that impact on their lives. And so they share with them this, and then they open up about having a time of uh, about sharing the gospel with them and setting up meetings to disciple them in the midst of that. That actions, like providing clean water, like helping people in need, like opening our eyes and our hands, actions provide opportunities for us to be bold and to open up about the gospel and to share and be ready in season and out of season to, to proclaim why we have the hope that we have. Now, the last point I want to land on here, and this is going to take a couple minutes, so I ask you to, to stay with me as we unpack this. And this last point here for opening up about the gospel, the second thing is understanding the Great Commission. Understanding the Great Commission, that if you've been a part of a church for, for a while, been a part of this church or other churches, you've heard the Great Commission found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. But I want to dive in a little bit to it um, in a way that maybe some of the nuance gets lost in the English language as opposed to the original Greek. And so let's read together Matthew 28, 18 through 20, then we'll dive into it. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to us. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, there's plenty to unpack there that it could be its own sermon, its own sermon series, but we want to focus really on is the verses 19 through 20 in which we see the command, the imperative that's here as part of the Great Commission. Now, this is going to be a little bit of English language stuff, so, so bear with me for a moment, that in the Greek, there is one verb there that is a command, an imperative verb. And then there's three others that are participles, that are actions that we show. So you'll notice participles usually as ending with ing. But the way that the Greek is written, or the, rather the, the way that the English is written, we don't catch it fully um, as we do in a moment. So uh, Kenny Burchard is a man who, um, he dove into this. I'm, an indebted, I'm indebted to his research. Um, but here's an example that Kenny Burchard used that gives a similar example. So to turn to the screens, the idea is, hey, tune up the car. Changing the oil, checking the plugs, replacing the distributor cap. If you look at that, that's one imperative, tune up the car. And then the participles explain how to do it. What are the actions and that you do that? Well, you do that by changing the oil, checking the plugs, replacing the distributor cap. 
To make it clear, I, I, we have another slide here that the blue is the imperative, the orange is the participle. So tune up, that's the blue, that's the imperative. Changing, checking, and replacing are the orange. Now, when we look at the Great Commission, this too is, has one imperative like this one, tune up the car. There's one imperative and three participles, but here's the difference of how we read it. That when we look at this, go and make disciples, the imperative is not the go. The imperative is the make disciples. And in fact, the imperative isn't just make disciples, it's disciple. It's this active action verb. Not like, oh, make disciples, it's disciples. So this idea that we see here is that therefore going and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. So the go is not the command. The command is to disciple. That as you are going to your office, disciple. As you are in your family home over the dinner table, disciple. As you are meeting with friends or meeting neighbors or serving people, disciple. As you are doing that through going, disciple. As you are baptizing, disciple. As you are teaching, disciple. But disciple is the imperative. Going, teaching, and baptizing are the parsibles. That's the how we do it. And Kenny, uh, he writes it out this way. What does this mean? He says, the idea here, especially with the idea of go, the idea here is not go on a mission trip or go somewhere. The participle conveys a continuous action that is already happening right now, but that also continues to happen into the future. So the idea is more like as you are going along in your life. So is it just about the call to go overseas? No, it's the call to see what God will do as you are going along in your life. That as you are going, disciple. As you are going to work, disciple. As you are driving, disciple. As you're with your family, disciple. Yes, we still go. Yes, we still baptize. Yes, we still teach. But the imperative, the command is to disciple. Using those as the ways in which we do it. We continue on with Kenny's notes here. He says, this means that the Great Commission is not about going on trips to evangelize people who speak a different language, even though that is a legitimate thing to do. It's a good thing to do. But that's not the be-all, end-all of what he's saying in the Greek. The going in the Great Commission is best understood as a fact that is taken for granted. It would be more like this. While you're going through your daily routine, you, yes, you, who, th who work there at the prison or the restaurant, as you are going along with what, where you, I'm sorry, with what you do and going wherever you go, disciple. So that for those of us that maybe haven't been on a mission trip or aren't planning on going on a mission trip, we are not exempt from being full-time missionaries because the Great Commission isn't about simply going far away. It's about the call to recognize that we can be missionaries wherever we go. As we are going, we disciple people. We love people. We serve people. We show them who Jesus is. Now, when we saw Mike Buckta in the, in the um, offering video, and they, when he shared that, he said, here's what we like to do. He says, what we like to do is to disciple and then go and make disciples. It's as simple as that. That's the Great Commission. It's disciple. And what he and his family decided to do was to disciple while they were going along their way by moving to Ecuador. But they discipled. They get it. And so can we. That whether we are in Santo Domingo, Ecuador, or whether we're in San Diego, California, as we are going, we are missionaries who disciple people, who come alongside them. We open up our eyes and our hand and are up about the gospel, and we disciple people. So as we close this morning, 
I just want us to wrestle with this, for all of us to wrestle. Where are the places that you go frequently? Maybe it's the same restaurant or the same coffee shop. Maybe it's your workplace. Maybe it's your kids' soccer games, or maybe it's whatever that place may be for you. But where are the places that you go frequently? And so when you think about that, how might God want you to disciple in those places, quote, to quote Kenny Burchard, as you are going along in your life? How would he want you to come alongside a coworker or a friend or family member and say, hey, let me, let me come alongside you in life, and as we are going, let me disciple you and teach you about Jesus. And then this week and, and in this coming season, especially with school starting and connecting with new families or, or activities and things like that, ask God to open your eyes, your hands, and opportunities to share about the gospel. Because that's how we get used by God wherever we go, is with open eyes, hands, and opening up about the gospel of braveness and boldness. And I'll close with this idea that I shared that story with you about how our luggage was stolen. And I remember the next morning when we met the missionaries that one of the pastors at the church near Santo Domingo, actually in a place called Santa Marta, but his name was Carlos, his wife Maritza, they were the the two uh, pastors there. And he shares as we're kind of going around circles, introducing ourselves. And he says, he says, you know, uh, welcome to Ecuador. You know, I'm, I'm sorry that your stuff was stolen, but for me, It reminds me of how important it is for us to share the gospel with our people here in Ecuador because they need Jesus. And it was this great perspective because whether we're in a third world country or a first world city, we recognize that everywhere people need Jesus and that we have the opportunity to fulfill the great commission by as we are going that we would disciple because the truth of the matter is, is that for us to recognize our mission, it's, it's not just about the call to go overseas. It's about the call to see what God would do through us wherever we go. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. And we thank you, Lord, for your word that it is living and active. We thank you for the fact that you teach us new things. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have open eyes open hands, and to open up about the gospel when opportunity arises. I pray that you would work in us and through us to the point where we would recognize that we are all full-time missionaries because we are on a mission to bring people far from you, near to you, to see those who don't know you, Jesus, to have a life-changing, generation-altering experience with you that goes beyond what they think they need, but goes to the core of what they need, and that is you, Jesus. So Lord, I pray that you would give us encouragement, that you would give us boldness, and that you would give us opportunities in which we would decrease and you would increase, and that you would give us what we need to be witnesses for you. Because people in Ecuador and people in San Diego and everywhere in between, they need you, Jesus. May we be your missionaries that recognize it's about the call to see what you can do through us wherever we go. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as we continue with our time of worship, um, I'm going to ask, I'm going to be up front here, and if you would like to pray, if there's something that, whether it's connected to this topic or or not at all, we want to be a house of prayer. 
And so if you need prayer, know that, that I'm available for that. Um, if you just need to respond through singing or respond through meditating or respond, whatever that looks like to what God is teaching and stirring within you this morning, may this be a time for that to happen before we get so busy on where we're going that we fail to see who and what God is doing in us now. Amen? Amen. 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 Now, before we go, I just want to encourage you. You can do this. I know it's one of those things where it feels a little overwhelming and it feels hard to do and it feels like there's so much going on, but you can do this. You can open up your eyes. You can open up your hands. You can open up about the gospel that there are opportunities that God would have, whether it's walking through school, whether it's going to work, whether it's at wherever God has you, that you can do this because God wants to use each and every one of us to bring people far from God near to God. And so they may have a right relationship with God too. And so this is not something that is out of our scope of ability, but rather this is a command that God had called us to do and he will supply us with the words and the opportunities. May we decrease and may he increase so that in those moments we step up to the plate. But you can do this. And the truth of the matter is, when we talk about the idea of going across the nations, most of us, I would wager, did not come to know Jesus because of a foreign missionary who came here to share it with us. Most of us came to know Jesus because of real-life people who, as they were going about their lives, would disciple and reach out and would share. And so that is the call that we have, to continue that idea that wherever we are, that we are able to disciple and to allow God to use us in that way. And we cannot wait to welcome you back into these doors next week as we celebrate 50 years of what God has been doing and to get excited about the next 50 as well. Thank you guys so much for coming. We'll see you all next week at 10 a.m.